Jim, as the day goes by and, and people remember John Thompson, there, there's an expression that really comes to mind, and that expression is larger than life. Is that yeah. how you remember, John? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of great coaches, and, uh, you know, he, he, was in, he was a great coach, but he's different. He's, uh, like, really one of the only coaches that people went to see. Uh, mo- mostly you go to see a game, you go to see the players. When you go to see, when you went to see Georgetown, you went to see John Thompson. Uh, you know, 30,000 people came to the Dome and just to have a chance to boo John Thompson. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the reason they came there. And, uh, you know, he, uh, was, there's very few figures that are unique and larger than life. And he was one of the few. And, uh, you know, he's a great basketball coach. He was a great leader. He led the way for all young African American kids who wanted to play basketball, wanted to be coaches. Uh, you know, he was the guy. I mean, he was the guy there that people looked up to and uh, respected and admired. He uh, his teams played hard, harder than anybody, and they, you know, you knew you had to come ready to play when you played a John Thompson coach Georgetown team. They were. Great defensively and uh, would go at you for 40 minutes. Jim, I want to go back to 1980. At the time, you know, a lot of transition. First year in the Big East, you're going from Manly Fieldhouse to the Carrier Dome. And at the time, St. Bonaventure's your rival. But it was six words said by John Thompson that changed everything. Can, can you remember like a shift at the time that, oh boy, here we go, this series is going to be something? Yeah, I mean, that was a big, I didn't think that much of it at the time. It's kind of grown over the years in importance. And, um, you know, I just, it was just another, it was just a tough loss at the time. But, uh, yeah, it's grown, you know, it, it has. And it uh, it uh, was part of the legacy of the Syracuse-Georgetown game. Uh, it was the game for a number of years. Duke and North Carolina are the biggest rivalry in college basketball, but not during that time period. During that time period, it was Syracuse, Georgetown. It was physical, Big East basketball at its best and great players. I think there was one game, I think there was at least eight NBA players out on the court. Uh, That doesn't happen too much today with players leaving early. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we had a... NBA player coming off the bench and David Johnson, they had a NBA player, you know, Reggie Williams who came off the bench. Nice. So it was a different different uh, time, but it was a great rivalry and it spurred the Big East and it helped so many other programs because you had to play up to Georgetown and if you could do that, you, know, you could beat anybody in Seton Hall and you know, Connecticut and, and Providence, Boston College, Pittsburgh, Villanova, they all played up to that, and they all became good because of it. How did he make you a better coach and make Syracuse a better program? Well, you had to bring I mean, you know, you were, we were a really good Eastern team, as they were, and St. John's was, but 
when the league started, they got better players. You know, we got better players. St. John's got better players. And you had to play to a high level where you were not going to succeed. And uh, it was it, it permeated through the whole league, and everybody had their chance at the top. Uh, it was very difficult to stay at the top of the Big East. And, you know, Georgetown was part of that. Uh, you had to play to a high level to be successful in the Big East. There's so many memories, Jim, but one that, that stands out to me, and I know you've mentioned it a time or two, is, you know, of all people to be right there when you won the national championship in 2003, <laughs> John Thompson yeah. was one of the first people to congratulate you and shake yeah. hands with you. It was, it was fate that he had to be there, I guess. Yeah, he's sitting right there on the radio with a radio thing. I took Roy Williams' hand, and then I shook his hand. And the rafter, they were sitting right there. And, yeah, that was ironic. But, uh, you know, we became good friends. And, you know, obviously the rivalry was always there. It's still there and will be there. But, uh, you know, we became really good friends and met and talked almost uh, every year, either in Vegas or a Nike thing or at the Final Four. So, yeah, I mean, he... Uh, he was a little upset when when my wife took uh, his daughter-in-law, Monica, out to dinner. He <laughs> thought that was too close, you know. <laughs> and, and then when Patrick hired Lewis Orr, he, he, he called, Lewis, called Patrick in the office and said, what are you doing? <laughs> so the rivalry never went away and uh, was always there, but there was a great respect and uh, um friendship after a while it took a while it was probably the biggest turnaround in friendship history <laughs> yeah i was gonna say do you go from one extreme to the other with yeah. how fierce that rivalry was and jim here we are in this backdrop uh, of course with players in all sports uh, particularly in basketball right now speaking out about social justice and issues off the court and but john thompson was not afraid to speak his mind about what he saw as fair justice for players for african americans whatever the subject was he would always be first in line to stand up for justice yeah he'd be he's he's needed today he would be a, a big voice today but he always stood up for what he thought was right and uh, for the players and for coaches. Uh, and he uh, really paved the way for an awful lot of coaches to come into this game. And one more thought from you, Jim. Uh, you know, we'll have plenty of time to talk about this as the weeks go by here and we get closer to the season. But uh, where do you think we are right now in terms of getting on the court, college basketball playing, and, and kind of watching college football to see uh, the lessons you can learn to get out there and play this year? Well, I think we've learned, and I don't know if people have registered this, but kids are safer on campus than they are at home, uh, and especially athletes. I mean, you're going to have some positive tests, but if all these kids were home, there'd be a lot more positive tests like there are in all these states where, you know, kids home, they're going out in the fall. They'd be going out now. And so I think it's good to have them on campus. We can test them. I think testing will get... I think soon we could get down to daily testing, I hope, but it'll be two or three days a week. But it could be daily uh, with some of the advances that are coming out because I don't think we're going to get a vaccine. I think we have to resort to daily testing and isolate people when it happens. Uh, but I think, you know, you look at testing and what football players and all their athletes are 
testing a much lower rate than the, the, the population. So I think we can keep kids safe on campus. I think we can play sports. I think there could be some stops and starts, but we have to understand we can't go on the radio every time there's a few positive tests and say, oh, we got to stop because there's positive tests everywhere. If these kids were home, they'd be testing positive. It's not like they would be safe at home and they're in danger here. They're safer here than they would be at home, and certainly their parents and grandparents are safer if they're here. So, yeah, there could be some positive tests. We have to either have been. Clemson, I think, had 47 football players test positive, and from what I know, all 47 are back at practice, and we're back pretty quickly. So I think the Big Ten went too soon. I think they didn't have the information uh, all the information, I think they just went too soon. There could be problems ahead, but there's going to be problems with this disease wherever you are. But young adults handle it, are able to get through it, and move on. Do you think uh, Do you think that Thanksgiving to mid-January window is a good time to get some games? Because it feels like a lot of campuses are, are essentially going to be bubbles or as close to it as you can get in this Yeah, it's as close as you can get to a bubble. I think it's a great time. I think six weeks, seven weeks, you could get a lot of games in, whatever games you choose to get in. Uh, we'll know more in the next month or two. This changes every week. But I think that's a good time if you're going to have stops and starts during the season. You might as well get started early, and then if you have a stop for two weeks or ten days, whatever it is, uh, then you get back at it and uh, you know play the games. Everybody always talks about money, but what are we going to do? Wait two, three years to play, to play sports, and to go to college and to go to high school? I don't see a cure. So we need to figure out a way to play through this. Golf has, baseball has. Baseball's had two teams have problems, but 28 teams haven't. Um, you know, soccer is playing out well. Um, I, I think we can do things, but it's it's not going to be easy, and there's going to be some up, ups and downs. Next guest needs no introduction, but we'll give him one. Of course, a longtime Syracuse basketball and NBA star. You hear him on these airwaves. As an analyst and a host, you can find him on Twitch. You can find him all over the place. And, you know, I'm glad he's on this show. Usually Danny's somewhere else with someone else. But I'm glad that he made it to the big time, and he's on this show now. Danny Shays is with us on the block. Danny, it's good to hear your voice on my show. Usually it's somewhere else, but I'm glad you're here today. How are you, sir? Well, thanks. I made it to the big time finally. That's so, right. uh, you know, you, you've been ducking me, not the other way around. You know, always happy to jump on with the axe, man. That's what I love and, to hear. Uh, so anytime, anytime. And, uh, yes, it's been, a, it's been a big year. Nice to know that, uh, uh, that Tesla is, is increasing. <laughs> That's and, right. Uh, I don't have any shares of it, but, uh, but I'm out here in Phoenix and, and Tesla's grow like weeds out here. So I can see why they're doing well. There you go. It all comes together. How are you, by the way? How was life in quarantine for you these past few months? Uh, actually, life is hanging in. Uh, my son is a senior in high school, just started back to real school. Uh, he had the first two weeks online. Today's their first day of, as we call, butts and seat school. So he's uh, he's excited for that. And uh, just kidding. Uh, but, um, uh, but, you know, he's playing ball this fall with some club and then uh, getting ready for the season, So as we all are. So all in all, not too bad. Fantastic. Good to hear. And you should be excited about that. He's finally out of the house for a little bit, right? And I hope everything goes safely, of course. And 
It's interesting because my daughter's 14 and she can't wait to go back to school, even through through all this stuff. So fingers crossed exactly. that everything goes the way it should, right? Well, when he stays home, we put him to work. So he's uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, I got school, then I got practice, then I got to eat, then I'm going to be tired, you know, so maybe my laundry can wait another week. That's not how it works, my friend. That's Especially exactly. if you want, we want that new iPhone, as my daughter does. It's like, okay, well, there you go. you're going to work for that. Well, Danny, we've got a lot to discuss, certainly, but uh, our thoughts uh, start, of course, with the passing of, of John Thompson and there's just something that comes to mind when I say that name, and that and that is larger than life. It just seemed like that was John Thompson in so many ways. Well, he had such an impact, not just on his program, uh, but on college basketball in general. If you look back to that era uh, where he came into Georgetown and then transforming that program from uh, you know a nothing basketball school into a powerhouse number one, uh, but really catapulting the Big East as part of that to the, you know, from nothing to the premier basketball conference in just a few years. When you look at uh, the personality of the coaches, uh, you know, who were in that original Big East group with guys like Lou Carnesecca, PJ Carlissimo, Jim Beheim, of course. But John Thompson, as you mentioned, that larger than life personality, uh, the Darth Vader, as it were, of. Uh, uh, of the Big East back then, the one everyone loved to hate, who uh, uh, was so combative. And it, it's ironic because you look back now in today's environment and you realize kind of what an impactful figure he was, not just on the court, uh, but off the court as well. I mean, a guy who, uh, like I said, really transformed lives, Allen Iverson coming out and you know, thanking the coach for really saving his life. Uh, you know, and he had that, he had that kind of impact. Like, like, as you mentioned, was just, just a larger than life character, not only personality, but physically, you know, playing the sidelines with a towel over his shoulder. And, you know, just, he meant so much to the, uh, uh, not only to the big East, but you know, Syracuse, Georgetown, you have to look at one of the great rivalries in sports from that era. Danny, I want to go back to February 13th, 1980. As the expression goes, you were there. And what, a, you know, Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed. And in the moment, people probably didn't realize what was coming. But what were you feeling then? And, you know, boy, was this Georgetown team, this John Thompson guy, they come in here, they beat us. And we, we had no idea what was coming, but what was it like coming out of that and, and the sense that maybe there was a shift going into the Big East Conference and everything that you were starting to experience then? I think the, the actual game itself was almost a little anticlimactic, only from the standpoint that we knew Manly was closing, that this was the last game. And, uh, you know, and, and actually it was a game we should have won. We were, you know, we had the lead most of the game, including at the end, a couple of you know, uh, you know, a couple of bad plays turned it around, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's a signature game. It's a game that really launched the Syracuse Georgetown rivalry. Without that game, or if the game had turned out differently, I don't know that the rivalry would have been so intense. Uh, what did that mean for Big East basketball? Uh, you know, of course, that was just the start uh, of the Big East with going, you know, full uh, schedule the following year. And uh, you know, again, that was such a pivotal moment. Uh, in so many different ways. So it was a, uh, it was an incredible game. You know, it's funny when I look back at all the impactful games in my my career. You know, say the top ten games that you know either were excruciating win, you know, losses or or uh, or you know super high wins. They say that you know the the thrill of victory and the and the uh, uh, you know the pain of defeat. Um, you know, so many of them, uh, you know, came down to you know last plays or or important moments in time, and that was certainly one of them. Uh, you know, once the you know the pain of the game goes away, we can with the passage of time you appreciate the importance of the game. 
Uh, you know, it's something that, uh, like I said, I think if that game turns out differently, you may not have Syracuse-Georgetown as a rivalry. John Thompson put 26 players in the NBA, and the ones you think of the most are the Hall of Famers, right? Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, Allen Iverson. In particular, Danny, and you know this as well as anybody, having faced these guys in the NBA, those those towering figures, quite literally, those big men that Thompson put in the NBA. Was there a common denominator with those players? What was it like to go against them? They're fierce competitors. That was number one. Uh, physical competitors. You know, Patrick and I uh, played against each other for a long time. Finally, we're teammates uh, with the Magic at the end of his career. Uh, Alonzo Mourning, another guy who... Uh, you remembered every game you played against them because you had the bruises to show for it. And although I gave as good as I got, uh, also teammates with Miami, Pat Riley's first year. Uh, you know, so I have a lot of Georgetown history. John uh, John Duran, remember Bay Bay back in the uh, in, in sure. that early uh, Thompson era was my first point guard with the Jazz. Uh, played with Sleepy Floyd and uh, some summer tournaments, and uh, you know, and still uh, talk smack with Patrick every time I see him. So, as well as uh, Dikembe turned into a good friend over the, over over the years, working together through the Players Association and other NBA events. Uh, quality guys, you know, uh, Alonzo gruff on the outside, but you know, hard as big as gold on the inside. A uh, guy like Iverson, I never really had much interaction with, but uh, you know, but the bigs, you know, certainly, like I said, banged up against, and those other guys who I've played with and against. So, uh, you know, Georgetown always has an outsized presence every time we play against those guys. Danny, switching to the NBA and life in the bubble here, and I want to get to the games here in a moment, but we're in extraordinary times here. Not as John Thompson proved, was never afraid to speak out about social issues and things that he cared about. But how have you monitored? These players speaking out, even canceling games, boycotting games to to get their message heard about what they want accomplished in the world of social justice. You know what's interesting about this? Oh, by the way, are they actually having games? No, just kidding. They are. Uh, yeah. You don't hear you, about you them do compared have to, check to all the other stuff. You got to check daily. Are they playing today? Okay, good. Let's go. Exactly. Right. Uh, what's interesting is, is clearly, you know, star players have always had the platform. Uh, to be social justice uh, advocates. You know, you're going back to the 60s, of course, with Jim Brown at Syracuse, Kareem, Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, that era, Oscar Robertson. Certainly the NBA has had their share. Bill Russell, a great advocate. But it's always been on the individual player level. This is the first time it's become a league issue. Historically, leagues have always been colorblind. That's been their if you want to say the the thing that we trumpet about it, that sports is colorblind, that, uh, uh, you know, as long as you can play, you make it. And it's not something that has, has had, uh, you know, when the color barriers were broken, uh, you know, it's something that quickly transformed as society had in, uh, but I think faster than even society, you know, to be you know, truly colorblind. And that's something where you look at the first, you know, if you want to say the colorless athletes, the Michael Jordans, the Tiger Woods, um, you know, those guys who have come through and kind of broken through that and made, uh, been on the leading edge of that kind of social change. You know, Jordan, famous for not being a socially active warrior, really played into that colorblindness. Right, he didn't come out and uh, an advocate. He came out and showed by example, led by example. The difference you're having now again is it's becoming now a league issue. The NBA is now an advocate league. They're sponsoring Black Lives Matter with it printed on the courts, with the with the uh, you know with the sayings on the jerseys, and you know the canceling of the games. And that's something that that has really has transformed. Time will tell if that's. Um, uh, you know, what kind of lasting image, but, you know, you really have to applaud the players for standing up, uh, obviously during the Donald Sterling 
uh, crisis when Adam Silver first took over as the NBA. That was something that jumped out. And now, of course, with, um, uh, you know, with the current social unrest, if there's a complaint that I do have is that there's so much emphasis put on the protests without emphasis put on the rioting. And that's something where I think if there's one mistake, to use that term, that I think the league is making uh, or the players are making, however you want to uh, you know, break that out, is they're not uh, standing up against the violence as they're standing up for the protesting. And that, I think, is a distinction that needs to be made because what's happening that I see is that the message is being blurred, almost co-opted by the rioting. And if the rioting takes over as the signature outcome of all this, I think it'll uh, you know, certainly uh, inhibit the progress that's looking to be made. So I think if there's, if there's one thing I would put on the negative side, is that I think the players and the league need to take a stand. They're taking a stand for the, like I said, the protesting, which I'm 100% behind. But they're not taking a stand against the rioting, which I'm 100 percent against. So, That's what uh, I, you know, I think that if there's, like I said, if there's one issue that needs to be, you know, uh, advocated, I think that's it. And Danny, a, a quick thought from you about the play itself in the bubble. It's been incredible. First of all, they pulled this off, but to see right. Jamal Murray, Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, I mean LeBron James, still doing things. He's protesting one day. He's getting triple doubles the next. The level of play has been amazing, and I think, and I want your perspective on this, one reason for that, a main reason for that is there's no travel. They're they're there, they're healthy, they're focused, and I think that's really improved the quality of play. What do you see? There's been a couple things. That's clearly one of them. Uh, the games are spread out. You don't have the distractions of like going anywhere or doing anything, right? So... Um, so that is a big deal. But you talk about these incredible performances. I mean, Donovan Mitchell and, and uh, Jamal Murray going 50-50, 50-44-42. I mean, it's, a, it's incredible to watch that series now going to a Game 7. Uh, you know, the Lakers and Clippers, I'm glad they were able to express themselves but continue to play. I think it would have been a, uh, a missing uh, on, the, on, the, on every scale if they had opted out of the playoffs. Uh, because, uh, you know, not only do we want to see it, right, do we want to see them in action, but we also, uh, you know, get to really see their message more if they're active. So I'm glad they're still playing. Giannis in the East, you know, now seeing the Celtics play, uh, you know, it's a couple of great surprises here in Phoenix. The Suns go 8-0, miss the play-in game by a, by a point, right, and, and the last day. Uh, you look at the Sixers kind of flaming out. Uh, you know, Houston, we're going to see what they're going to do. Uh, yeah, but so many great storylines, right? On top of the social issues, there's so many great basketball storylines that I think this playoffs is going to you know, turn into, uh, you know, whether it ends up with an asterisk or whether, you know, it ends up in kind of a, a legend of its own, you know, the bubble playoffs, the bubble year. Uh, you, know, so the, you know, the play and some of the individual performances have just been incredible. Danny, it's great to hear your voice on this show. It's great to hear your voice in general. Glad to hear everybody's doing well. We'll certainly catch up down the road, but thanks so much for your time and insight today, my friend. Absolutely. Don't be a stranger.